The Real Estate Sessions is brought to you by Relola. The Relola app helps agents leverage their local expertise. Create a beautiful interactive map of everything you love about your community, from businesses to listings to local features. Share it on Facebook and your website. And it's free for all realtors in 2018. Learn more at relola.com. The word relevance means being closely attached to or in relationship to someone. And so I think what online relevance really means and how an agent can really leverage that online relevance uh, is understanding their audience. It's really understanding who it is that they're trying to connect with and provide items of value, provide something of value to them that maintains a connection that will continue to, uh, to keep that front of mind presence, if you will. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice for real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 122 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Really happy that you've joined us. I really appreciate you sharing it to your friends and family. It's it's the way we get discovered out there on uh, on the internet, and I, th- I can't thank you enough. Um, I'm really excited about today's show. We are we are going to revisit with Ryan Bocross, now of ERA Realty, to talk to him about. Uh, it's been over a year, a little over a year since the last time we chatted, and there's been a lot of changes for Ryan. And I so I wanted to get caught up. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. It's always good to uh, to hear the podcast and to be a a guest on here is quite the honor, so appreciate it. Uh, thank you. I and and we've picked up so many new listeners in the last year. I do want to kind of talk about kind of your beginnings and how this all started. And I know you're a Houston native, correct? Well, born uh, in the great state of Pennsylvania, but moved to Texas before I was even a year old. So um, you know, the saying they have down here is maybe not born in Texas, but got here as quickly as I could. So <laughs> I claim myself to be. Uh, to be native, just not born. I've been here all my life, really. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So let's. I've been to Houston one time. It was really hot and humid. Now I'm now in St. Pete, so it's okay. It's now part of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but tell, tell tell me in your words, what's the best part of living in Houston? And then if you had to, is there a worst part? Yeah, I mean, the best part of Houston is that it's just such a huge diversity. Uh, you can get any kind of food that you want. You can visit and and really learn about any type of culture that you want. Um, obviously, we're a huge metropolitan area, so we've got professional sports. We've got great uh, museums and theater. We've, I mean, really, just the, the benefits of being such a huge city. Uh, you have all that that encompasses. Uh, we live out in the suburbs. So we um, enjoy being out of uh, the, the, the concrete jungle, if you will, um, but we're still close enough to be able to enjoy all the things that, that Houston as a major city has to offer. Uh, with that said, I guess the thing, the worst part about being in, the, <laughs> in Houston is, uh, is the traffic. I mean, we're still such a growing city. Um, you know, people are moving here still, despite all of the water that we had recently, uh, we still have a lot of people moving in. So traffic is, is probably by far the worst thing about living here in Houston. So, I love what you went to school for because you are the only person in, in 120 plus episodes who went to culinary school. Am I right? <laughs> I did. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. And 
And uh, so I can honestly say then you were not, your sights weren't set on the real estate industry while you were in school, right? No, not at all. I um, played a little bit of sports um, after high school and that didn't work out too well. So I had some friends that worked in a restaurant. I got in and started, uh, you know, waiting tables, bartending, all of that kind of good stuff. Moved up into management. And uh, when I married Maggie, we, you know, obviously talking about our future and where we want to go, what we want to do. I kind of thought I was stuck in a management role inside of the restaurant industry, which at the time, you know, I had good progress um, and great companies that I was working for. Uh, But I knew I wanted more. And so I had kind of a dream to own my own restaurant one day. I have worked in the front house um, on the service side of the restaurant industry never really understood or had a full grasp of what it took to run the back of the house. And so I kind of had a dream to attend culinary school and learn what it would take to be successful in the back end of how a restaurant works. And uh, she surprised me one day and she said, uh, put something, you know, somewhat nice on, we're going to drive down into town. And so she had scheduled an appointment with me uh, or for me with, uh, I guess, the, the, I don't know what you what you call the person that interviews you or gives you all the information about the school, but we went down to the Art Institute of Houston and uh, had an appointment, and we basically signed me up for culinary school that same day. And so it was because of her I, I went to culinary school, got my uh, got my degree, and when I got out of culinary school, um, I took over as executive food and beverage director for uh, the local country club here in the Woodlands. Um, so that definitely gave me the opportunity to advance my career in uh, the restaurant industry there and learn more about it as I had gone through the school. And one of the really cool parts of going through uh, the program was you created what's called a capstone. So basically I have a big plastic tub that has everything in it that I would need to open my own restaurant. Um, I have all my layouts, all of my recipes, um, all of the costing now is is many <laughs> is many years old and would have to be updated. But uh, at the time of graduation, that's kind of the goal of the program: is that you have everything that you would need to go to uh, a bank or an investor and say, "Here's exactly what I need for my restaurant." Um, so we did demographic studies based on location and everything. So it was really neat to see that come to life. So I have a restaurant in a box, basically. Wait, now I got to ask you, is there a name associated with your, uh, with your <laughs> there was. So when I created it, I called it Maduro's. Uh, and if you've ever been around cigars or understand what mm-hmm. a Maduro cigar is, um, it's a very strong, robust, dark, uh, dark wrapper, um, cigar. And so my restaurant, uh, and the concept behind it was, uh, was, was American, but wild game, um, lots of dark wood dark leather chairs, um, a cigar bar attached to the restaurant, steak, all of that kind of good stuff. So it was definitely a uh, a somewhat upper-class restaurant, a little bit more expensive with some exotic game uh, dishes and things like that. So uh, Maduro's was the name of it. I'm looking across the the bay right now, kind of right towards Ybor City, you know, and you want to talk about cigars, Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. a place that's growing. It's a perfect place place to open up that restaurant if you're ever thinking about relocating. (laughs) <laughs> to Tampa. That's fun. Well, so the, uh, the, the plot of land that I envisioned my restaurant uh, being built on about a year and a half after I graduated culinary school, uh, Kirby's Steakhouse here in the Woodlands uh, built, uh, built right there on the exact spot that I had my eye on uh-huh. for my restaurant 
And ironically enough, it's very similar, uh, maybe with the exception of the exotic wild game. Uh, but it's a very high-end um, steakhouse here in the Woodlands with a very similar uh, layout and feel to what my restaurant would have been. So it was, it was neat to see that come, uh, come together there. <laughs> I want to recap 2017 a bit for you. We're, we're here right at the end of 2017 recording this episode. And uh, a couple of really big things happened in the Houston area. One tragic and one incredibly joyful. Um, what, what kind of a fall did you have with uh let's talk about Harvey first then then we'll 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 finish that with the Astros and what they accomplished Hurricane Harvey came through and uh and man that was that was a rough time obviously for us I mean 52 inches of, of rain 51 inches of rain uh across you know a large part of the Houston metro area uh as we kind of started to see the storm rolling in you know there were there were differing opinions as to how bad it would end up being. Um, I think anybody that is paying attention to, <laughs> to social media or the news know how bad it actually ended up being. Right. Yeah, it was, it was pretty tragic. We, um, I mean, personally, myself, uh, even before the rains stopped, uh, some buddies of mine and, and I, we, we got out on boats and started pulling people out that didn't know or didn't plan on having to get out uh, because of the floodwaters, and that turned into about 10 days of, of water rescues that we ended up doing in, in all, over the, all over the city, not just up here on the north side where we live. Uh, and then after that, of course, the recovery is still going on. I mean, we, just 12 houses down from us, an entire back street of our neighborhood had about five and a half, six feet of water uh, in, in about a dozen houses back there. And probably about half of the street is still not moved in and, and they're still working on their homes. Um, so here, you know, we're, we're what, four months, 16 weeks or so out from when that all happened. And there's still people not, you know, not able to get back in their homes because they're, they're still renovating. So um, it was definitely uh, tragic and it's not like we're not used to hurricanes or a lot of water um, or even flooding here, but this was obviously um, something that has, has never been experienced here or much of anywhere else uh, in, in the States or in the world, uh, the amount of water that we got. So it's a slow burn. Like I said, people are still trying to recover. So it's been, uh, it's been pretty crazy to see it right. come through. Post Harvey, I can't think of anything better to help a town <laughs> kind of rally around something to take their mind off of all the work ahead. Right. But then the, the, the pesky little Houston Astros finally, <laughs> finally bring that long-awaited championship back home, right? We did. We finally pulled it off. Um, you know, man, that was that was something to watch. Uh, you know, obviously the Sports Illustrated issue that came out uh, in 2014 that predicted the Astros would win the 2017 World Series mm. uh, was was very interesting and, and something we kind of hung our hats on. We had a couple of of rough months uh, and some injuries. Uh, but come around towards the end, um, you know, it was just something to see these guys really rally around uh, the city and, and at the trade deadline, Verlander coming on and really shoring up the, uh, the pitching rotation and just going into that, uh, you know, series against the Yankees was a nail biter. And then, of course, the actual World Series, many are, are saying it's the best yet. 
which obviously I would agree, even just as a sports fan and, and not being an Astros fan, I would agree. And in, in my many years of being a baseball fan, I really, I think that that's probably the best World Series I've ever experienced, taking the Astros part out of that, but putting that back in, obviously. For the city, man, it was huge. Just, yeah, you could kind of feel the weight a little bit uh, lift off the town and everybody's hearts just kind of explode and with just joy and happiness. And like you said, just this young scrappy team uh, that really came together and um, embraced the idea of just Houston strong um, and, and coming back from adversity and, and pulling that off. It was something, yeah, it was something to experience. I think we're still living on the high of it. Everybody got uh, Astros gear for Christmas. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, best marketing for a baseball team is winning. <laughs> so, yes, <yeah>. absolutely. <laughs> that was a great, that was a, that was a cool back from Dallas. <laughs> the Phillies yeah. back in the day. Um, like talking to the front office about marketing instead of guys, the best marketing is winning. Uh, and he's right. So just, it was so much fun to watch and so much fun to share that with you socially. You, know, you talk about the value of social media, you know, to be able to be there and, and be a part of the texting or, or Twitter through the group of people that we connect with, be able to, be yeah, it was a lot of fun. So it was, yeah, it was, well, let's, we got to go back to the business side of things. So I know that when you finally kind of found your way into the real estate industry, uh, and you can share that story, but then you moved around a little bit, right? Because you've got a lending background, you've got a like a tech coaching side to you, and um, so let's talk about that that little road that got you into where you're where you became a realtor. Yeah, so you know what got me into real estate out of uh, the the restaurant industry. Uh, Maggie's mom passed away from brain cancer, and she had four teenage kids that she was uh, a single mom to. And um, she had adopted them from Russia. So when she passed, we actually took the four teenagers and adopted them and, and raised them on our own. Uh, my position at the country club uh, really had a lot of hours attached to it. So it was very difficult for me to maintain that job and really be involved and help raise <laughs> four teenagers on top of, we had one of our own already uh, and Maggie was, pregnant with our second so we really went from one to six uh, in the matter of just a couple of months um, wow. so I needed to find something that offered a little bit more flexibility from a schedule standpoint so one of my wife's uh, friends that she actually did some some marketing and some admin work for was in the mortgage industry and this would have been 2004 I guess 2004 um, beginning of 2004, early 2004, uh, he called us up. He said, you guys need a break. I'm going to pay for a sitter. Um, and I'd like to take you guys out to dinner. So uh, I was uh, not working at the time. I took a leave of absence from the club, hadn't officially resigned or anything yet. And he just kind of <laughs> looked at me and said, what are you going to do, man? So we just threw around some ideas and, and I had thought about maybe going into financial planning or some sort of, again, uh, opportunity that would allow me more flexible hours and he said what about the mortgage industry I'll, I'll bring you in I'll teach you everything that you need to know and so lo and behold that's what I did going into 2004 and then you know five and six were good years for uh, the refi boom and so kind of got in got my feet wet started to really get a hold of the industry and understand it and moving into the years of the crash, 
I took a position as a wholesale uh, account executive with one of the big companies uh, of which I will not name. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, they, they ended up going away. Uh, and we, we were not one that left people sitting at the closing table uh, without money to fund uh, to fund their purchase, but we, we kind of slowly closed our doors. And so when, when that was over and done with, I had a, you know, a decision to make as to which direction I was going to continue to go back into maybe originating or, uh, or doing something else in real estate. And so I had a friend approach me uh, at church and he said, Hey, I know you understand real estate. Maybe you've, you know, you've obviously done the, the lending side, but I imagine you at least have an understanding of real estate as a whole. He said, I know somebody who's looking for kind of a, a director of real estate operations for an oil and gas company. And so um, I, I researched that a little bit and took a, a hiatus from traditional real estate. And we moved down to Galveston Island on the, on the, on the Gulf. And uh, I worked inside of uh, real estate operations for an oil and gas company for about a little more than a year and a half. And, and, and that was very interesting to get into the oil and gas industry and, and see the, the good old boy network uh, at work. <laughs> and especially from a real estate side, you're trying to lease up properties, even acquire properties for these big oil and gas companies. And uh, the project that I was specifically working on started coming to an end, and uh, they wanted me to uh, to either move or travel extensively for uh, for the position if I wanted to to keep it. And so I decided at that time that just wasn't the route that I wanted to take. So I got my real estate license and uh, and started selling real estate. Through those years, I had kind of leverage social media, I guess, to take a step back when I was in the mortgage industry, uh, there was this social media network called uh, MySpace. I don't know if anybody <laughs> remembers that one or not. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And it was interesting. I, you know, had reconnected with a lot of folks from uh, from high school and, and college and, and different areas of life. And I was sharing just about refinancing and, and all of the stuff that was going on during those times. And it was interesting how that network and that platform started allowing me to reconnect with folks. And so during that refi boom, I had uh, really built a a strong business using MySpace to connect with people and um, and start really running a lot of uh, refinances for them. Um, And started sharing that around, was teaching classes. Um, I was a member of the Women's Council of Realtors at the time and started teaching different classes for them. So teaching and, and sharing stuff really started early for me in my real estate career. And so as I got my real estate license and again, started to leverage social media and different technologies, I was approached to take over a director of uh, agent development and training for a Remax office. And so that was kind of my my entry into formally becoming an, an educator in the industry, I guess, if you will. Uh, we created and developed uh, an entire agent training program and kind of bucked the Remax model a little bit uh, and, and really recruited from real estate schools and brought in young, newly licensed agents uh, and and really trained them from from you know beginning to end, soup to nuts, on how to uh, develop and, and create a real estate business. So that was kind of my 
entry into uh, to training did that for a number of years and then yeah i kind of took all of that into the technology side of the industry uh and and was director of industry engagement for idx broker and that gave me the opportunity to really meet a lot of people around the country. We, we traveled around a lot. I had the opportunity to speak at a lot of conferences and share stuff, not just about IDX Broker, but about leveraging the internet and, um, and understanding what a really good web presence looks like for an agent. That kind of moved back into investing in agents at the brokerage level. So we did that with a small boutique brokerage here in Houston uh, for about a year. And then that brokerage kind of went away and really kind of worked with an independent here in Houston for uh, the, the majority of 2017. And then, yeah, middle of November, I took uh, my position as the senior trainer for ERA Real Estate. And uh, I'm really excited about this opportunity. It's, it's definitely like nothing I've ever really done before. But then again, it, it really kind of is. We're talking a, a part of Realogy, right? Yes, yes. So I, I'm actually, uh, yeah, an employee of uh, the Realogy franchise group, um, but I am uh, the dedicated senior trainer for uh, for the ERA brand. Which, which, how long has ERA been around? A long time, right? So ERA has been around for forty some forty some odd years now yeah. um, as a as a brand. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about you know because you had that indie kind of startup side to you. And now you've got a couple of months, just a couple of months underneath you with, uh, you know, the biggest real estate company in the world, <laughs> Realogy. <laughs> um, talk about the difference uh, you, between those two, some of the things that just really stand out for you between the small independents and, you know, the big, the big boys. Sure. I found that there's a lot of uh, interesting similarities uh, that and, I don't think a lot of people really, really know, I guess. Um, or really consider, but then again, there's obviously the, the drastic differences. I think as a as an independent, you know, you have kind of have the option of being a little bit more nimble. Um, changes can be made a little bit quicker. You know, decisions can be made on a whim. I think what the benefit of of a storied franchise and a long term leader in industry like ERA and, and Realogy. You've, you've got a lot of the history and you've learned through the years what kind of things work and what kind of things really don't work. Obviously, there's a lot of changes that are going on throughout our industry uh, rapidly. Technology and uh, consumer demand, um, you know, the, the mindset of a consumer and how the Internet plays a role in all of that. I still think, though, that when you when you step back, perhaps from a lot of the, uh, the, the bright and shiny things that are, that are changing and, and going on as an industry and really look at the fundamentals, what, what Realogy and what ERA bring to the table and, and what a lot of the franchises bring to the table that have been around for a long time is they've been through so many different cycles of change through the years um, as far as economy, as far as real estate industry, uh, housing changes, all of those things. So I think you get a lot of history when it comes to understanding those changes and how to weather the storms. And so I think that's the, that's the huge benefit that comes with one of the storied franchises and, and being a part of something like ERA. The really cool thing, obviously, as well, is just the, you know, the financial stability of, of a large company. Um, there's, you know, <laughs> been some news lately of a few companies that have 
come and, and made a flash in the pan and then disappeared or had some um, some serious struggles as, as far as the company goes, you don't end up with those issues with big brands because there is financial stability there. Uh, and I think one of the things that really drew me to this opportunity was, like you said, I've, I've had the opportunity to work inside of uh, independence and uh, in small boutique brokerages. With this step for me personally, I think in, in this stage of my career, I, I really provide me the opportunity to, I really get the opportunity to affect the industry on a much larger level. I mean, we have um, 16, 17,000 agents here in the U.S. and 40,000 across the across the world. Uh, I mean, we're we're a global brand, and so I get the opportunity to really invest and play a role in the education and the growth of of an entire real estate brand. Um, and so that for me was an opportunity that I just couldn't pass up. Well, let's talk about it. In your new role, is there if 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 I asked you to kind of condense down into a thought or two, what, what's the focus of the training that you want to, you know, kind of roll out, right? Because I'm assuming you get some, some leeway and some freedom to kind of bring some of the things you've, you've acquired over your years to bring out to the ERA team. Within ERA, we partner with the Real Learning Center uh, that is part of Realogy. So we get some core curriculum that comes from Real Learning. And then what we get to do with that core curriculum is we get to really customize it for our ERA brand uh, and for our brokers and agents. And so that is, that's huge because, you know, I'm, I'm one guy. And even though I'm the only senior trainer for, uh, for the entire brand, I, I now have a partner with me to help create these educational uh, pieces and, and the core curriculum that goes behind what we're trying to do, being a part of Realogy. Uh, again, here's another just huge advantage that we have is there's a whole team inside of the Real Learning Center that helps us build this core curriculum. And we customize it because every brand has their own culture, every brand has their own kind of identity. And so with ERA, we get the we get this core curriculum, we customize it for our uh, for our brokers and agents, and then get to take that to the field. So as part of that goes, yeah, we're we're going to have a lot of uh, that core curriculum, but then, as you said, as I get in and I get to learn the brokers and build my relationships with the brokers and agents and a lot uh, a lot stronger then i'll I'll have a bit more understanding of exactly what their needs are uh, and so obviously there's a huge team we've got our entire team of uh, our broker services team, which include brand ambassadors who are uh, kind of our regional guys that are in those offices all of the time working with the brokers. Uh, and really starting to understand those needs. So as I get in there and start working with our team on the broker services side, then we can really kind of customize those offerings uh, and what I'm doing, whether it's in person or from a virtual standpoint, to help those brokers and their their agents get the training that they really uh, need and want. Um, So that really helps to have those eyes and ears on the ground level um, and in the field so that I can be the best that I can for all of our, our brokers and our agents. We have a mutual friend, Sean Carpenter. And <laughs> we do. When I, whenever I have a guest coming onto the podcast that Sean knows, I say, Sean, give me a question. And so I'm going to pull Sean's question out right here. And, um, and I don't think it puts you on the spot too much, but, but Sean wanted to know, you know, how does an agent today practice, and he puts this in quotes, online relevance? 
I love that question. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's something that perhaps gets missed in this, in this shuffle of being a social media star or understanding how to, uh, to, to leverage the internet or social media. The, the word relevance means being closely attached to or in relationship to someone. And so I think what online relevance really means and how an agent can really leverage that online relevance uh, is understanding their audience. It's really understanding who it is that they're trying to connect with and provide items of value, provide something of value to them that maintains a connection that will continue to uh, to keep that front of mind presence, if you will. So, so much uh, goes around about, um, you know, being in front of people all the time. Social media and the internet is so busy. It's so noisy and folks can tune out stuff so quick. I mean, our attention span is, you know, <laughs> less than that of a goldfish now. I think I read somewhere, you know, the goldfish has eight seconds and we are now at like seven and a half seconds. And I think a lot of that is because of the noise not just inside of real estate, but everything that gets thrown at us, news, politics, tragedy, you know, everything that goes on in the world. Um, there's so much noise. So practicing online relevance, I think, is something that, if understood correctly, can really leverage, uh, an agent can really leverage to to build a sustainable business. And I think that's where a lot of this understanding needs to go is what can I do as an as a as a real estate agent and when it comes to online relevance or practicing any good of any good um, online idea is what can I do to build a sustainable business right I don't want to cast a huge net I want to cast a smaller net with smaller holes in it so that I can collect more people and and build a closer relationship to them so Online relevance to me is understanding exactly who it is that you're connected to um, and what is going to, to, to touch them and what kind of touch is going to create that top of mind presence. So it's really about understanding who it is that you're having a conversation with, if you will, because that's what all of this really should be is converse, excuse me, should be uh, conversations that we're having with folks uh, and we're just leveraging the tool of, of online versus 50 years ago, um, you know, it was maybe a table or a couch and a cup of coffee. So if, if to, to kind of wrap that up into a neat little package, practicing online relevance really means building a relationship uh, with a, a smaller number of folks, whether uh, other than casting a, a large net and hoping to touch people maybe once or twice over the course of a period of time, because building a relationship, and that's really what this business is about uh, to build a sustainable business is, is having a lot of relationships that are going to continue to come back to you, refer people to you and build your business for a long term, not just uh, a flash in the pan. There has been an evolution and I, I'm going to guess because you were, you were with IDX Broker. So you had a different message eight years ago. However long ago that was, it was kind of a different message. It was more of a wide net, right? You got to have all these tools and all this stuff because it was brand new and not everyone had it. But today, sure. today we're at a point where we're saturated with all the tools. It's who can turn those into, you know, that relationship building, you know, machine that it should be. Is that, am I saying that the right way? Well, yeah. And I, and I think the, the main difference is I think having all of the tools is still very important. 
Um, and, and, and I don't think that, I don't want to be misunderstood that casting a large net, that there's no benefit to that. I think there is definitely a benefit to that. But I also think that if you, if you cast that large net and you're starting to bring people in, a lot of the tools uh, from, from, you know, years ago, even just, even just a few years ago, weren't really designed for, let's say a longer term um, nurturing of a relationship. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a grab and, and, and go or grab and hope, right? So we grabbed that one lead, if you will, from casting a really large net and hope that they're ready to make a decision as opposed to we're casting a, a really large net. We're grabbing onto that one person that may be six, nine, 12 months down the road um, ready to make a decision. And so what are we doing to nurture that relationship or build that relationship, uh, create a relationship with somebody from casting that large net versus here we have our small group and we're, we're building a referral based business that we know is going to be sustainable because we're relying on people that we already know. Um, So I, I think from years ago, now that we understand a little bit more about um, say the life cycle of an online lead, we understand a little bit more now come through the years uh, about what a consumer is really looking for uh, and how to really best build a relationship with them. Let's look into the future, uh, Ryan. What's, what are you most excited about from a technology point of view? Ooh, there's a lot of really cool things. A tool you shared with me uh, not that long ago, first.io, I think is, is something that's really neat. The, the leveraging big data with um, relationships that you've already got in place. And so something like that where you know, I've already got a relationship in place with this person. I already know X, Y, and Z about them, but now I've got kind of a little bit more big data behind, um, behind me to help me understand more about uh, their buying decisions or when they're going to be ready. Uh, I, I, I know a certain amount, maybe I know 70% of what I need to know about them, but <laughs> big data gives me a little bit more information. So I, I have more to work on. Um, I have a better opportunity to keep in touch and provide items of value again to maintain that front of mind presence in that relationship so that when they are ready. You know, I think search is an interesting thing that uh, we'll probably see more changes and that I'm excited about in, in seeing just kind of how the consumer is starting to change their habits when it comes to search. New technologies obviously artificial intelligence and voice search. Um, you know, my good friend, Bobby Bryant here in Houston created uh, at DOS, which is basically a voice activated um, artificial intelligence search portal. And, you know, somebody can just pick up their phone and, and as if they're talking to Siri say, I want uh, to see three bedroom homes uh, close to Lake Conroe, maybe with black countertops or, you know, black granite countertops or hardwood floors. And they partnered with IBM Watson and they worked through all of the different algorithms and everything and pull up, um, pull up homes that meet those criteria. Uh, so I think search can, can, is going to get a lot, um, a lot more specific and it's going to change the way that the consumer really looks at homes online, which again, if we're on top of that as an industry and as practitioners, then it gives us a better opportunity to have that online presence because we can connect with the consumer better, knowing that they 
uh, are searching for properties a little bit different than they used to. Those are two things that I'm really excited about as far as technology and what the industry's got coming. Makes me think of Real Scout, right? And what what Andrew and that team is doing too. That uh, yeah, the whole machine learning thing is going to be a lot of fun to watch as it rolls out. It is. Yeah. It is, and I think you know the, that idea of I want to see all houses with um, kitchens that have white cabinets and black granite countertops. Right. I mean, yeah. before there was no way to ever do that. You'd have to scroll through all of the pictures. But with this machine learning and this. Uh, you know, the, the photo identification things that, that they're doing. I don't know all the technical terms for it. But yeah, the computer is able to look at this photo of a kitchen and say, those are white cabinets and black granite. And then populate a search uh, from that information uh, and give the consumer the opportunity to take what might have been 60 homes that they were looking for um, down to four or five is insane uh, and i think what that'll probably do as well is that'll probably shorten that life cycle of an online lead as well because folks spend so much time online looking through photos of houses and houses and houses and if if we're able to fine-tune that search criteria and instead of getting 60 homes to scroll through a consumer is getting five or six in their search results uh, personally i think that'll start to change the psyche of an online uh, consumer and they will kind of feel maybe a bit more sense of urgency into maybe now is the time for us to start making a decision as opposed to three months from now or six months from now because you know, it'll 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 change their mindset a little bit so maybe inventory is less than it really is. Well, Ryan, look, I've had you here well over the half hour I asked your time, so I got, I know you got to get back. <laughs> but let me let me ask you my my final question. I've asked every guest on the sh on the show. Um, what piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started in the business? I love this question. Every time I listen to your podcast and, and hear all of the different pieces of information that everybody gives, it, it's, it's so hard to wrap it up into just one. Right. Um, but I, I do think that my, my number one piece of advice is for a new agent to come into this and not look at it um, as a job. They need to look at it as though they are a startup. They are um, beginning a, a business. They're starting a business. And so if they are able to take all of the pieces of what it takes to, uh, to, to start a business, it kind of takes me back to, you know, when I went to culinary school, everything that I have in that box, uh, in, that, in that bin to start a restaurant, uh, if I took all of the stuff that I learned and that I did to create all of that and um, was smart when I started my real estate uh, career and put all of that into place before I started selling real estate and, and really created a business around it, I probably would have been a lot more successful. Um, so I think that if a new agent's coming into this, they, they really need to look at it as though they're not just coming in to help people buy and sell houses. They're, they're starting a business and there's certain things to make sure that you have in place. Um, you know, create a profit and loss statement. Understand what your marketing budget is going to be. Um, how much are you going to spend on technology? What is your overhead or your, you know, your capital investments? Do you have all of the different pieces of technology that you need, a computer, cameras, whatever those, those things may be? Look at your business as though it's actually um, a, a startup and create all of that from the very beginning uh, and then understand where you're going from there. I think you have the opportunity to be a lot more successful. Ryan, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them for them to get in touch with you? 
Sure. Just Google Ryan Bocross, B-O-K-R-O-S. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ryan Bocross. Facebook is Ryan Bocross. I'm pretty much everywhere um, just as Ryan Bocross. But if you want to shoot me an email, I'm ryan.bocross at ERA.com. Ryan, thank you so much for taking some time out here. We're recording this episode between the holidays, which I know is a, a tough time for most people. And I thank you for that. And thank you for again for sharing um, all of your information. And I can't wait to see you in New York uh, in about a month, right? Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to that, as always. All right. Thanks again. <laughs> Thanks again, Ryan. Thanks, Bill.